You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The last few weeks have been extraordinary, even by South Africa's lofty standards. We've had a recession. We're probably going to get more of a recession, a deeper recession. We're in lockdown. Interest rates were cut by 50 basis points and then by 100 basis points and then yesterday by another 100 basis points. So 250 down in a relatively short space of time. South African Airways, well, the plug has been pulled on that dinosaur and should have been done a long time ago in many people's eyes. IMF has come out with its growth forecast for South Africa and indeed the rest of the world. So we're not alone there. Oh, and I also forgot, of course, the Moody's downgrade. With me now is Peter Attard Montalto from Intellidex, speaking to us from a bunker somewhere in London. And Peter, I thought about you the other day and I thought to myself, you must be snowed under with work and I bet you wish for the days when all you had to worry about was Eskom. Well, indeed, it's been very busy. I think there's been the usual battles that we're having to wage against uh, people who haven't understood the full force of what's coming or being very slow to, and that includes policymakers. Uh, and also, I think uh, investors do, uh, getting, as usual, maybe ahead of themselves and expecting too many uh, or too much uh, reform to come after this is all over. Uh, so it's been the usual battles. But are you quite encouraged by the way that suddenly some people have got the situation by the scruff of the neck compared to previous years? Well, I think there are some serious issues going on in uh, in Pretoria between the economic side and the health side. The health side clearly has moved very quickly ahead of uh, the first uh, reported death, uh, having the lockdown in place. That certainly slowed and moved back the, the expected peak, but it's only really redistributing the expected uh, sort of uh, mortality rates of the virus in South Africa and is doing very little for, for that overall, as the Department of Health admitted on uh, on Monday night. Uh, but the economic side has been a lot more challenging, I think, as we've seen policymakers slow to realise how bad the crisis uh, really is going to be. Um, the Saab, I think, getting there faster than the National Treasury um, and still a very uh, limited ability for policymakers to see beyond the very restrained um, fiscal space that they have. Uh, and I think not quite understanding that in times of crisis, it's your job to make fiscal space, ultimately, uh, to boost spending by, by any means necessary. And that's what we're still waiting for. Uh, South Africa still languishes in the global league tables of amounts of stimulus provided with only about 1.5% of GDP. Uh, and really, we need to be getting up to sort of 10 to 15% uh, of GDP for South Africa, which would be sort of 500 to 750 billion rand to see a proper... Uh, impact on the economy and some chance of saving um, jobs and firms from permanent loss. Yes, indeed. We'll come to that later on because I walk around a European city often, of course, because I live in Europe and I see places that are boarded up. I mean, I'm just talking at a sort of ground level, uh, kick the tyres uh, level as well. And I, I see them boarded up and I, I think to myself, well, yeah, maybe they're boarding up so there's no looting or anything like that. Should there be some kind of social unrest, which is unlikely. But then I think to myself, well, maybe they've thrown in the towel. Maybe they've only had a couple of months worth of fat in order to get through this. And it's going to be two, three, four months, maybe even even longer, that they have to stay closed. So I just wonder if the economy will bounce back like the IMF has predicted. I think the IMF says the world economy will shrink by 3% this year, but bounce back by nearly 6% next year. I don't know how they can quite come to that conclusion. Well, most of that, I think, is on China in particular and those economies that will open up slightly earlier. But even they're stressing the risk that you get less of a bounce back. 
Uh, and I think this is the challenge and the debate to have with people that we've seen after previous crises in South Africa, that you see permanent losses of jobs, permanent loss of output, permanent reduction in fiscal space because of an economy that doesn't have liberalized, flexible markets, in particular the labor market. Uh, and firms in particular now, and why this crisis is different from 2008, um, firms that basically are are going to be destroyed. Um, and that is more likely given a lack of, of fiscal response. Um, and and so we're, we're going to see very long tails of, uh, of impact. And hence, whilst I see minus 9.7 for, for this year, we're only seeing about minus 4.5% sorry, plus four and a half percent for next year, uh, which is still meaning that uh, the economy is not rebounding to where it was even last year, which let's remember was still pretty weak in 2019. And we basically see a large, a significant chance of a permanent loss of output of around uh, five to six hundred uh, billion rand, which uh, is incredibly damaging for employment prospects. Uh, and for uh, the fiscus as well in the medium run. Yes, it is. When it comes to employment prospects, of course, we are uh, close to 30% unemployment before the uh, current crisis really hit us, and the data is yet to be revealed as to what it's done to that. But I, I suppose, in a way, if you are very cynical, you'll say, well, thank goodness we've already got 30% unemployment because that means the rate of uh, an increase in unemployment will be relatively low compared to, for example, the United States of America. Well, I think that's totally the wrong way of looking at it in the sense of we're talking about people here in particular uh, outside of this definition who are particularly informal workers who are going to be hardest hit casual workers uh, who were the first to be laid off and will be the last to be uh, to be rehired, particularly given uh, any softening of the lockdown will require uh, health protocols, uh, PPE, things like that, some testing to be put in place, which uh, are going to be hardest to deliver. To, uh, to those segments of, of the economy. Uh, but that's really where I think you see the largest rise uh, in, uh, in poverty in particular and in poverty-related deaths happening. Uh, and whilst you know, there's always a, a debate in Europe over links between uh, mortality and, and GDP growth, uh, we can say that link is much, much stronger uh, in South Africa. And I think that's really where, um, you know, beneath the surface there is some uh, questioning over the lockdown and how it can really be sustained significantly longer than already put in place, uh, given the fiscal support measures and in particular the ability to support uh, those in the informal sector and, and uh, uh, those in townships uh, is really, I think, going to start seeing, particularly as we enter winter, um, uh, much, much more challenging uh, outcomes from, from the uh, induced poverty on that front. Do you think then that COVID-19 is obviously a ghastly pandemic and it hasn't yet hit South Africa as it has other, other countries but may well, may well rise in numbers terms anyway quite soon hopefully not and hopefully the lockdown will help but do you see poverty as a bigger killer than COVID-19 in a South African context? So it's quite hard to run the numbers on this um, but basically yes that, that is uh, the debate that and the modelling and, and the work that we, we are trying to do and having debates policymakers around um, behind the scenes. Um, and I would, I would disagree with your point about hoping that the virus doesn't arrive. The Department of Health line, which I fully agree with, is that the virus is definitely coming in winter yes. uh, in particular. Uh, and uh, if you like, the number of people that will get it is sort of unchangeable. The number of deaths is sort of unchangeable, assuming a vaccine doesn't arrive soon. Uh, and really, you can only slow its impact to try and 
get the uh, the total number of uh, of uh, cases of demand ICU beds underneath the capacity of the country, which is currently three thousand beds, is going up to around seven thousand beds with the building of uh, of field hospitals. Uh, and uh, and that's all you can do, basically. And I think they, the government, by shifting out the curve somewhat with the lockdown, will be moderately successful at that. But uh, but really, you're moving chips around uh, uh, on the board, unfortunately. This is not, I think, fundamentally shifting what the endpoint outcome is going to be. Okay. Um, I'm looking at my scribble list now, and recession was the first thing I spoke about. Let's just um, reiterate what your projection is for the negative GDP growth rate for South Africa in 2020 and what you might see as a rebound in 2021. What are the numbers at the moment? So I'm at minus 9.7 at the moment, which is with a five-week lockdown uh, in place. But in particular, I've stretched the time that I see the uh, border being closed until the middle of the year. In reality, I think that this forecast is still too optimistic. Um, we're likely to see a phased uh, move out of lockdown and possibly the border closed for the entire year, at least in, re- in sort of functional reality. If they open the border, they're likely to be 14-day uh, quarantine requirements, which will still kill off uh, business travel and, and tourism. Um, so the risk still very much skewed to a, a more negative number. Uh, for this year, then seeing plus four and a half for for next year. But you're considering that minus uh, nine point seven for for this year, that's still a large loss of output uh, versus trend for for next year. Um, and and really, I think long term potential growth um, is is still well below uh, population growth. And so after that, we sort of come back to those half a percent, one percent kind of numbers, um, which shows us sort of getting stuck in a pretty bad place. South African Reserve Bank Monetary Policy Committee came out with a 100 basis point or 1% emergency cut yesterday, following on from an official meeting's 100 basis point cut a couple of weeks ago and before that this year as well. Don't forget we had that 50 basis points before the global pandemic really became a reality for everybody. What did you make of yesterday's? We've, we've covered the other 150 basis points before, entirely appropriate, I think. What about yesterday? What did you make of that? So basically, I think finally the global uh, realization, the pressure of, of the revising down of the IMS forecast, the minus three percent for global growth, will do caught up with the Saab, uh, and hence they uh, they did the four hundred basis points and decided to move at this this time straight after uh, Easter. Let's remember. Um, I think they have uh, got there in the end. I think they were certainly slow in terms of the downward revisions of forecast uh, the last NBC meeting in March. But, but really, whilst this is welcome and will provide some marginal support um, to, to GDP, each 100 basis points adds on about 0.6 uh, onto growth, uh, but is already in our, in our minus 9, 9.7 assumption. Um, but really, this is sort of irrelevant here. Pri- the price of credit... Uh, is really not not relevant if you have a you know an SMME that's closed up shop has no income can't pay um, a uh, floating rate uh, loan say uh, really this is about uh, quantity of credit uh, moving through the system and the ability to give uh, bridging loans uh, to those sorts of closed SMMEs uh, and that's really what the focus of what comes next is going to be and 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 why. The, the real uh, large-scale stimulus that we're waiting for is a funding for lending scheme from the Saab. Um, and that's what's going to Cabinet today. Uh, we'll have to see what uh, what comes of it. But it will require everyone to step up to the table, Treasury with guarantees, the Saab with some kind of discount uh, uh, lending into, into banks. 
uh, and banks uh, the ability to, to pass that on to uh, to these distressed credits. Forecasts from the Saab yesterday were as follows. Uh, GDP minus 6.1%, headline CPI 3.6% and core CPI 3.8%. And you say the following, uh, rather brutal analysis. You say the Saab's new forecasts we should still take with a pinch of salt. Why do you say that? So the Saab has a somewhat backward-looking um, uh, sort of high threshold to revise down their forecast. But I think if you really prodded them, they wouldn't disagree with my forecasts. Um, and I think it, they will revise down to those kind of minus 10 percent levels as more data comes out. So I think it's more an institutional sort of uh, risk aversion as, a, as opposed necessarily to, to what their, their view really is on what the number, numbers are. OK, South African Airways has been in decline for many, many years. And I suppose the SAA liquidation will not get lost in all the other news, but it certainly won't be that impactful at the moment because no one's flying. So the, the planes are grounded anyway. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the SAA liquidation and then if it does go to the wall and stays grounded for a long time, what the implications are. But what is your understanding as to what is happening now? All I know is, as a headline reader, is that they've, they've, they've pulled the plug. They've turned the tap off. No more funding from the government. So we had a bizarre series of press releases yesterday from uh, DPE and then from uh, SAA, which as the DPE one sort of said it's business as usual, kind of, we, we need to have national airlines. Uh, but the SAA one then made clear and leaked letters from, from DPE to SAA afterwards made, made clear uh, that government basically were refusing all the requests for various forms of funding, guarantees, offshore uh, borrowing allowances, all these sorts of things were refused by government to SAA uh, and basically leaves them with no option. Currently, banks uh, will not lend to SAA even with guarantees, let alone without. Um, uh, there is basically no desire for, for investment funds to invest in SAA. Uh, DBSA has maxed out and can only lend with more guarantees. Uh, so really, there, there's no new money available. Uh, the question now really is, is how you do a liquidation um, and the cost of a liquidation and the impact that has on, on the fiscus. But I think uh, SA has basically run uh, to the end of the road. As you say, it, the lockdown helps there be less disruption. If you like, say, passengers, SA passengers have already repatriated themselves as necessary uh, broadly. Um, so uh, this is certainly an easier time to, to do it. Um, but we just have to have now the business rescue practitioners applying to the courts for liquidation. Uh, and there may be some political jockeying around that, but I think that will come uh, sooner rather than later, particularly uh, with, uh, with the April month end being a, a final stress on the, on the SA balance sheet. You say here there are debates over how much liquidation would cost, ranging from 2 billion rand, which seems a little bit light, to 60 billion rand, which seems more realistic, but also uh, maybe rather on the heavy side. What about the... What about the impact on the economy going forward when, when the world opens up again? I mean, the United States of America, for example, Mr. Trump announced a rescue package for their great airlines, as he describes them. And so they'll get a little bit of money so they can kickstart uh, their flying in, in two or three months' time, whenever it is. But in South Africa, that's simply not going to happen. And surely that's going to put an enormous strain on the economy as well, because you won't be able to get a flight from London or Frankfurt or Paris to uh, Johannesburg or, or Cape Town, because the carriers like Air France and KLM and British Airways will simply be too full. And what about domestic flights? You've only got two or three other airlines. What have you got? You've got Kalula, uh, Mango. Does Mango fall under SAA? It does, doesn't it? So... I think the private sector will will be more than happy to fill in the extra capacity. We've seen the opening of the New York to 
uh, Cape Town route uh, as part of the Cape uh, Air Access program. Uh, we've seen Virgin, uh, is obviously all before lockdown, happy to put in place uh, additional routes again in, in summer months uh, from um, start flying from London to Cape Town. That was a, a route, bizarrely, uh, it's one of the most profitable routes in the world uh, from London to South Africa that, that uh, SA basically virtually abandoned before the lockdown. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the U.S. airlines do make normal ties, make money. Uh, very, very thin profit margins, but they do make money. They are cost-containing. And they're not riddled with corruption. Uh, I mean, SAA is an institution that basically is completely riddled with corruption, as well as international criminal gangs operating in the technical uh, division, which leads to serious questions around the safety of the airline. Um, but uh, yes, I think this is this is a positive move that the private sector will more than happily uh, step in. If you look at the load factors on the domestic routes, um, the, most of the, the other airlines operate with some spare capacity. Uh, and I think we'll be more than happy to step in with additional routes. So I have no worry at all that uh, um, there will be enough capacity into and out of South Africa. Despite the fact, if you look at an old flight schedule, a route map of what South African Airways has been doing up until about a month ago, it, there's a vast amount of flights every single day. You're, you're absolutely certain that the private sector will step in, whether it be the domestic private sector for, for local flights and the international private sector when it comes to international flights. Everything will be fine in your, in your eyes. And there'll be a brief wobble initially. No, I think uh, Ethiopian Airlines will act as a new hub uh, for uh, for the region, I think we'll see Airlink uh, basically boosting its capacity uh, within the, the near region um, as well. Um, and remember, a lot of these flights were, were, were completely empty that uh, SAA were, were running to uh, various Latin American countries uh, and to uh, various other parts of, of Africa often. Um, so no, I, I have I have no worry at all that that, that will settle after a, a couple of uh, months when the, when the border reopens. Very good, uh, Moody's. We don't need to talk about because we've covered that, and it's almost like a side issue this day, these days. Eskom as well. Are you fearful for the future for South Africa, or do you think we will get over this, Peter? So I'm fearful that the right decisions are not necessarily taken fast enough, and there is a big debate with policymakers. Uh, about the fact that they always kind of make the right decisions in the end. And that's fine when you're not standing at the fiscal cliff edge. But standing at the fiscal cliff edge, you have to take decisions very rapidly and you have to concentrate a lot on credibility, uh, transparency and communications. And that's not currently happening. We saw a complete car crash um, a treasury briefing to media yesterday that followed on from a, from a disaster of a briefing uh, to investors uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and, and I think that some decisions need to be made very quickly, even, even when they're notionally negative decisions. So we're waiting to hear from Treasury about the step up in issuance in, of SAGBs in the new fiscal year. I think Treasury worries that that's a negative sign there'll be such a large step up. But markets know, it, know that it's coming. They want the transparency and the credibility of those numbers being out in the open. Uh, and so I think we need policymakers to be in the much uh, more crisis edge of fiscal cliff mindset where you are very openly having to think about uh, unusual things such as funding uh, with an IMF SBA and conditionality, which was ruled out by Treasury yesterday, um, let alone the tripartite alliance that had ruled it out with the press statement last week. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we're still waiting to see uh, the mindset happening um, and changing, because uh, otherwise accidents can happen at the uh, cliff edge. Peter, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Peter Atod Montalto, Head of Capital Markets Research at Intellidex, speaking to us from London.
The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.